If you will please take up your Bibles now as we turn to God's Word, we're going to be reading from the last book of the Bible, from Revelation. We'll be reading from Revelation chapter 5. That can be found on the Pew Bibles in front of you on page 1221. 1221. This is Revelation chapter 5. We'll read all 14 verses. Then I saw on the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered, so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures, and among the elders I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain, with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language, and people, and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked, and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders and the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you this evening, uh, before another week. We need to hear from your word. We need to hear from you. And so, Father God, speak to us. Speak to our hearts and our souls. May we be changed people that we might not only recognize the sin in our lives, but also see the Savior who is wholly worthy of our worship, wholly worthy of our praise, wholly worthy of all that we say and do, that it might be honoring to him and to your name. Father God, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As I was growing up, I had, uh, my dad said a lot of things to me. Some of them I remember, most of them I do not. But one of the things he said to me, whenever I got anything right, whenever I got anything right, he would say to me, do it again, make sure it wasn't an accident. And I always uh, loved when he'd say that because uh, it would mean that I'd get to show and prove to him that I I was indeed trying my hardest to make him Uh, proud of me and that I was doing something right. 
But another thing that I remember my, my father saying is this. He said this. It'll all be good in the end. If it's not good, it's not the end. The vision that we see in the book of Revelation is a vision of goodness. I suppose, I suppose it all depends on how you read the book of Revelation. And we don't have time to, to talk about whether this is something that has happened whether this is something that is a metaphor for something that has happened, whether this is something that will happen, or whether this is something that, that is just uh, 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 images for a, a, a symbolism, right? Rather, I want to spend time, just a brief moment this evening, talking about the gospel. Because if there's anything, anything at all, that attracts my attention more so than Lindsay or Jude or motorcycles or fly fishing or dogs, it is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It always will be Jesus and this good news of a saving work for those who believe in him. I encourage you to have your Bibles open as I will be referring to some verses. And we're just going to look at this passage just briefly this, this evening in three simple, three simple uh, ways, uh, three simple sections. First, we're going to look at the, uh, we're going to look at the text, but we're going to look at the sinners in the text who are unworthy. Then we're going to look at the Savior who is worthy. And lastly, we're going to look at how do we respond to that. We're going to look at the service that we do. So the, the, uh, the, the worship, the, the way that we respond in worship. So we're going to look at sinners, saviors, and service. That might sound familiar to some of you. Or worship is what we're going to, how we're going to see we respond to the text. So first, sinners in the text. Look back with me at verse 1. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne... A scroll, it was seated on the throne, a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. We look at this picture and we see, we see him, God, sitting on the throne, most beautiful, holding this scroll. And we need to stop and just uh, look at this, uh, to think about and dwell on this beauty. This is God most glorious. This is God most awesome. And there he sits, bright and beautiful. And in his hand is this scroll. Writing on both sides means it contains the complete will, uh, the complete uh, will for history, both in, of God's will in history for both judging the wicked and redeeming his people. It is his plan for time itself, creation, fall, redemption, and consummation. And, and, and it is sealed with seven seals, which means it's completely sealed. Then a mighty angel proclaims in verse 2, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And worthy uh, isn't a foreign word. We just don't use worthy that much anymore. We use worth. We say, what's, what's something worth to you? But worth and worthy are, are accounting money terms. And uh, the, the word in, uh, here, it's meaning who is of equal uh, worth to God that he or she should be able to open the scroll. Who is like God that they can reveal God's will? And who can stand before God himself and tell of what God plans for eternity? For unless someone opens the scroll, the contents for God's triumph would not happen. And then we get to the central problem of the text. 
No one is found worthy. Verse 3, And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. John, the person who writes this book, Revelation, this letter, uh, and to whom the vision is given, weeps and he weeps because he knows that he himself is unworthy to open the scroll. In fact, there's no one in the entire human race who is worthy to stand before God and open this scroll. And there is no one worthy because of sin. Now, I don't know you all. I've met some of you, and it's been a lovely privilege. But I don't know what you all think about sin. But it's important that we think rightly about sin. Sin is when we disobey God, whether we know what we are doing or not. And we can sin by doing something wrong, or we can sin by not doing something right. Now, the first sin happened a long, long time ago. Two people, a man and a woman named Adam and Eve, believed in a lie and disobeyed God by taking and eating a fruit from a tree that God said, do not eat that fruit, do not even touch it. But because of their disobedience, sin spread through the whole human race, and it so, has so poisoned our nature that we are born sinners corrupt from conception on. And this isn't hard to see, right? My son, my son Jude, for instance, I, I baptized him. I took him in my arms and I baptized him. He was my first person that I'd ever baptized. I took him in my arms and I held him and I looked down to him and I said, Oh, Jude Lee Gandhi, my little sinner, I baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And it didn't take him long to prove me right, right? <laughs> He might be playing with the dogs, or we have two dogs, he might be playing with the dogs and start pulling on their hair, or he might be getting into the medicine cabinet, and his mother or, or I will look at him and say, Jude Lee, no, 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 no. And you know what he does? He starts doing what he was doing only faster, he, he just, to, just to see if he can get away with it, Right? Now, you might say, that's only a child being a child. But at risk of offending you this evening, I must say that you and I are sinners too. We are sinners. We have a natural tendency to hate God and our neighbor, to covet the best things for ourselves, to lie to get ahead, to idolize uh, things instead of putting God first. Sin is a bitterness. It's a foul stench before a just and holy God, and it permeates everything. It's like if you've ever had a skunk spray your dog. It's totally encompassing, and before God, that makes us wholly unworthy. That's our first point. We see sinners who are unworthy. You and I are not worthy to stand before a holy God. We are not worthy to approach a good God. We are not worthy to worship before a righteous God. There's nothing in us, in you or me, that makes us worthy of being saved. Our good deeds are as filthy rags, and we are totally incapable of saving ourselves. And in a picture of Revelation here, it means we can't open the scroll or unlock its seals or even look inside because we deserve nothing short of hell. And so this weeping that we see in verse 4, and I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy, is an accurate emotion. We should weep because we are doomed. Without some saving, without some rescuing, 
Without someone being worthy to open the scroll and reveal God's good plan, we are lost. And this might seem very elementary to some of you, but we can't pass over this lightly. Take a good look at yourself, Prosper. Spend some time putting your heart and your mind under a magnifying glass and root out any sin within you. See your sin and see that you are totally unworthy. I'm right there. We are totally unworthy and we would be lost. I say would be, though, because there's good news in this text. And that's our second point. We've looked at the sinners who are unworthy. I want to look at the Savior who is worthy. Look at verse 5 with me. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And this, of course, is pointing at Jesus Christ. We begin with certain titles. The line of the tribe of Judah is a title that declares that Jesus is a fulfillment of these Old Testament prophecies, the first part of the Bible, that predicted that he would be coming from this royal family. And this family would come from a people group called Judah. You can read about that in Genesis 49. Then we get the title, uh, then we get the title, uh, Root of David. It's a title that speaks to another prophecy from the book of Isaiah, chapter 11. It says there, a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse, and it describes Jesus, who was born from the house and line of Jesse and King David. It's a prophecy that talks about how this family line had almost been wiped out, and yet it came to power through God's Spirit to bring salvation. And our text says this lion, this root, this Jesus has triumphed. He has defeated sin and Satan and conquered the grave, but this conquering happens in a very unique way. Look at verse 6 and then at verse 9. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain. And then verse 9, and they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. The allusion to the lamb is the illusion that in the Old Testament, God made a provision for His people. God's holiness, His goodness was so good that people could not be, could, if people were sinful, they had to be punished. So He made provision. He said that they could take a lamb, a perfect, spotless lamb, and then slaughter it. They could kill it and offer it as a replacement, uh, a sacrifice it was called, instead of dying themselves. The blood of the lamb was then put before God as a sign of something that paid the price for sin. But this had to be repeated again and again and again. So they would make a a payment or atone for the sins. It was not permanent. But then God sent his son Jesus to the earth 2,000 years ago. We remember it at Christmas time, don't we? Jesus lived a perfect life. He didn't sin at all. He perfectly obeyed all that God told him to do and even obeyed to the bitter and shameless death that he he suffered. 
but he didn't need to die for his own sins. So instead, he stood in our place, just like the lambs of the first part of the Bible. In, in fact, in John, one of the, John the Baptist says, remember how he says, look, when he looks at Jesus, he says, look, the Lamb of God, he calls him, who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus shed his blood, but applied it to our account. His blood was poured out for us and atoned for our sins. He stood in our place. It's like the story of the whipping boy. Do you know the story of the whipping boy, some of you? It's a young prince. He was very naughty. He misbehaved a great deal. And every time he misbehaved, he would deserve a whipping, a spanking, right? But instead, the young prince, uh, instead of him getting a whipping, a stand-in or a substitute would uh, come in and be spanked, and he was called the, 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 the whipping boy, right? Now, of course, the young prince didn't learn any real lessons, and the whipping boy didn't take the punishment voluntarily, but Jesus did. Jesus died for us, took the punishment for us, all because of his love for you all and for me. That's why it says, and with your blood you purchased elsewhere in the Bible. So with his very own death, he brought us back from eternal death and the hell that we deserve. And I have to say, and I'll be very clear, that this doesn't happen for everyone. This happens, uh, Jesus died for those whom God set aside for him who will believe in him. If you believe in Jesus, this replacement is for you. Jesus died instead of you. His, 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 the replacement is applied to your account. It counts as payment. It is a gracious gift for you. Now, since Jesus was slain and his blood was poured out to redeem certain peoples from all over the world, right? he proves to be worthy to take the scroll and open the scroll, and he can reveal God's will for our all time. That's that's what we're talking about. We see a Savior who is worthy. Verse 12, worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. No one, no one deserves worship. No one else is worthy. There is one faith. There is one Lord. There is one way to heaven. And, to, and there is one eternal life, and that is Jesus. And for what he has done, he should be worshipped and praised. And that's our third point, right? We respond, we are sinners, but we have a Savior who is holy, worthy, and we respond, we respond in worship. That's how we respond, right? It's important, important that we think rightly about worship and praise, too, because... You and I are already worshipers. We are already people who praise things. Think of it. We praise, uh, we praise people who play guitar well. We praise, we praise sports. Well, uh, people who, who do sports, play sports well, do sports well. People who, who are great at their jobs. We praise the countryside. We praise the weather sometimes. Other times we don't. We praise uh, wonderful-looking uh, fields and flowers. We praise great pieces of music. We praise all these kinds of things. We spend our lives, we naturally worship. But there is no greater way to spend our lives than the worshiping of God. And I don't mean playing a harp and singing a song in a cloud. That's the wrong idea of worship. 
What I mean is going out to the barn, going out to milk, going out to the office, going to school, going to your jobs, tending to your children, or volunteering because you are retired. I mean worship in prayer and rising and lying down. Give to Jesus glory and honor and praise. And that's how this chapter ends, isn't it? That's how this chapter ends. And I heard every creature, verse 13, in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in him saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. So I ask you tonight, hundreds of thousands of voices, are we going to join them? Do you worship? We've come here on a Sunday evening But why? Do you come on a Sunday evening because it's what we're supposed to do? What we've always done? Or do we come to worship the risen Savior, Jesus Christ? Is Sunday a day of worship, of dwelling on the riches of God's mercy? Is it? Or is it Sunday just the second day of the weekend when I get everything ready for Monday? And I say to you, as we think of the week coming up, Examine every square inch of your life and say, does this bring glory to Jesus? Am I showing Jesus' glory to others? Do I want others to worship and glorify God? And if you are here this evening and you don't know the Lord, maybe you've yet to trust in His goodness, maybe you don't see Jesus as anything more than a good teacher, look into this book. Look deeply into this book. Look at what it says about what, who you are, but more importantly about who Jesus is and what he's done. For there's nothing that you could so consider. In fact, consider everything a loss to the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ. He is worthy to be worshipped and praised. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus Christ and Holy Spirit, we worship you and we praise you and we honor you for the God that you are. We thank you for this this word from the book of Revelation. We are uh, so thankful for the gift of Jesus Christ, the Savior, the one who is worthy to open the scroll and to read the contents and read the Read, we can refer, read further on in Revelation of the judgment, but also the judgment that we escape, that we, uh, we do not need to know if we are in Christ Jesus. So thank you, Father. Thank you for the gift of Jesus Christ. And thank you that though we are unworthy sinners, you provided a worthy Savior. As we go from this place, may we make much of Jesus Christ. Holy Spirit, empower our lives to make much of Jesus to sing his praises, not only in what we say, but in what we do. May we represent him as our Lord. May we praise him. May we honor him. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Will you please rise for the benediction? People of God, receive this benediction. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ The love of God the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore.
Amen. Uh, our closing song will be song number 232 in the Psalter hymnals, You Are Worthy. Peace.